Hello and welcome to The Raw, our brand new SFC podcast brought to you by the Sunland Echo team. And this is episode six. Richard Munir here, and I'm joined here at the University of Sunland by our chief Sunland writer, Phil Smith. Morning. Plus Mark Donnelly. Morning. James is away on national duty at the minute. And uh, Mark, you're just back from a trip from Greece. How was it? Yeah, it was It was lovely. It's no no Sunland, is it? And the, uh, the Acropolis <laughs> isn't quite Pensure Monument, but uh, <laughs> it did. It did. You'd recommend it? I would. I would. Good stuff. Uh, as ever, there is plenty to discuss. Um, Sunderland obviously were without a game last weekend due to the international break, which feels like it's been going on for an age. Uh, the home game with Burton Albion obviously called off after international call-ups. Uh, Sunderland dropped down to eighth in League One as a result of the other fixtures played last weekend. Um, Black Cats are back in action on Saturday when they travel to Accrington Stanley in League One, back to the Wham Stadium. We're not seeing enough of that in the last couple of years. Um, big news, however, of course, is the ongoing wait for the takeover to be completed. Uh, Sunderland fans waiting with bated breath for positive news from the Stadium of Light. Um, so plenty to discuss. Uh, let's get cracking then. Um, should we kick off with the, the takeover situation? Obviously the big talker on, on Wearside at the minute. Um, what do we know? Proposed takeover uh, close to completion. Uh, obviously a lot of excitement levels amongst high amongst the fan base. Um, I guess it's fair to say we're just kind of at that stage where it's legalities and paperwork and it'll sort of be announced when it's announced, hopefully. Yeah, very much so. There's been obviously a lot of talk about time scales and what have you, which I don't don't think is particularly helpful, to be honest, because then naturally people can get concerned when those time scales are missed. The reality with with a deal like this is that there's an awful lot of parties involved and the deal actually getting rubber stamped is dependent on an awful lot of people. That means that it could all happen very quickly or it could mean that it could take a little bit of time. (coughs) Excuse me. So it's one of those things where it's always a a frustrating process, but I would always say you want people to make sure that it's right. You want every box to be ticked. And that's just what we're going through at the moment. And people, in my humble opinion, shouldn't be paying too much attention to timescales because the reality is it will happen when it's happened because there's a lot of different people involved in as much as we're sitting here desperate for it to get rubber stamped and for it all to come together at once it's going to take a little bit longer um there's obviously an EFL, an EFL process an awful lot of paperwork to be done signed off an awful lot of different people involved in that so it's just one of those things that might happen tomorrow it might happen in a fortnight um time scales aren't particularly helpful and fans shouldn't be concerned when supposed time scales aren't aren't being hit the main, the main thing is when we're not talking about haggling we're not talking about people trying to redo the deal or, or huge stumbling blocks that haven't been crossed it's just the really boring stuff that sometimes mm. takes longer than everyone would like so i'm still very very confident there'll be positive news how long we'll wait for that have to wait for that i don't know i don't think anyone can realistically tell you so um you know thankfully this weekend we've got some actual football to en- to enjoy and we can just kind of wait and see it's one of those, isn't it? It's not like the club itself's put any kind of timescale on it. There's just a lot of rumour, I guess, out there and, and Chinese whispers a lot of the time. Um, obviously, it was supposed to be last Friday, then the start of this week, now the back end of next week. So, as you say, we'll just have to wait and see. Um, there was a couple of comments this week, though, from Tony Davison, the Sunderland's uh, managing director, um, in a sort of wide-ranging piece of interview with The Athletic. He, he did sort of touch on it, and he, 
Davison said, I'm always of the opinion that you say nothing until it's done, but if it does happen, it's obviously going to be exciting. I think we all need to be realistic in some respects. You can't just throw millions of pounds at a club like in the old days, but at the same time, they're very keen to keep the model we've started to build. Hopefully, we'll be able to do some some of the things we'd love to do, but not been able to, improving the fan experience, the stadium, that kind of thing. So uh, encouraging, encouraging words from uh, the club's managing director, Tony Davison there. Of course, it's a four-strong American consortium that's looking to buy a controlling stake in the club. Um, though, of course, Stuart Donald and Charlie Metham would both remain involved in the sort of day-to-day running. Uh, businessmen are John Phelan, Robert Platek, Glenn Furman, and obviously Compute Tycoon Michael Dell. So we wait um, with bated breath. And you spoke to Joe Lynch as well in the, the mood sort of within the Sunderland dressing room, I guess, as you'd expect. is fairly relaxed. There's nothing they can do about that. Yeah, no, Joe, Joe Lynch did make the point. Obviously, he's just come into the club, and I think some people had made the point to him. You know, we've... We've been here before um, and it didn't quite happen. So from their perspective, as you can imagine, they wait and see until it gets over the line, um, which I think is, is fair enough. I'm pretty sure this time it will happen. But certainly from the players' perspective, you'd rather they were focusing on Acton and Rotherham and what have you. But you know, the, the, the Tony Davison comments are interesting because I think it does reflect the fact that with this takeover, I do feel like the club as a whole, including the fans, is in quite a healthy place and that because we've had a big takeover inverted commas before where a lot of money came into the club and, and Ellis Short threw a lot of money at it and a lot of bad things came of it and we're now in a healthy position where I think every fan understands that y- y- it's not necessarily wise or healthy just to come in and chuck loads of money at mm. transfers and wages and and that actually the club will be in a far healthier place if money's invested first and foremost in the infrastructure and that goes from everything to fan experience on a match day to recruitment to facilities it does obviously there'll be you know people will want them to invest in players and what have you and, and want exciting signings but it does strike me that this time around the club's in a in a far healthier position in terms of understanding that it's really important that this opportunity this um ability to draw on significant capital um might be able to build some really really good structures rather than just bring in some kind of players of, of yeah, big yeah. reputation or whatever I, I, it does almost in a strange kind of way feel a little bit like a second chance for Sunderland in mm. some ways and and it's it's nice I think Tony's comments are, are reflective of the general mood and I think that's 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 really encouraging I think it stands the club in, in pretty good stead going forward It's a good point because I mean obviously on Twitter and stuff there's a lot of uh, impatience naturally with social media and things but there's not a huge there's not a, a great swell of people really expecting millions of pounds to be thrown at, at things like you say the playing squad in January etc so there's an understanding I think of the, the need to build on infrastructure things like Stadium Light at the Academy getting those kind of things improved yeah. and oh, 100% and I, and I think that's Part of that, to be fair, is probably down to the work that Stuart and Charlie have done over over their time here as well, and, and the manager as well, in terms of I know, expectation management's not the right word, but I think fans have, for example, a really good understanding of the financial rules, the parameters that someone have to work in, because I think that's something that's been communicated pretty regularly and pretty strongly. So I think these new owners will come in and have a fan base who understand maybe some of the limitations they'll have in terms of what they invest in. Um and yeah, I just think I just think the club's in a good good space in that. There'll be a lot of excitement quite rightly because it, it is exciting, but maybe too that that understanding that maybe some of the best work they might do might be kind of some of the boring stuff in, in terms of investing in the infrastructure. And that might be, you know, hopefully a, a key lesson learned from the last time. And that's not to have a go at Ella Short or anything like that for, for, for investing his money. It's just that I think everyone got a little bit carried away on that occasion and maybe the 
maybe the structures in, that should have been in place weren't and, and I think everyone understands this time that that could be why the biggest difference is made uh, obviously watching the recent 3-1 win over Wimbledon from the executive box uh, we're feeling in Platek and they're set to be joined by Furman on the new look board should a deal be hopefully finalised soon uh, with um, Dell a passive investor as we understand um, chances of them being at the WAM stadium you'd have thought would be pretty slim well, there'll be an experience <laughs> for them. Be an experience for them if they are. Yeah, um, yeah I, I th- we did have a, a, co- a conversation. We spoke to Lawrence de Bock earlier in the week, and he said um, he was asked about adjusting from football in the UK mm. to um, football in football in Belgium. And he said, actually, you know, you'd be surprised that you know I was surprised there wasn't as many long balls as I thought in the Championship and teams to try to play a bit more. And it was pointed out to him that League One's maybe mm-hmm. <laughs> League One's a little bit different. And I think it was pointed out to him when he signed that his first game could potentially be at Accrington and that yeah. might be quite a quite a culture shock for him. Although to be fair, Accrington do try and play a little bit of football, but it's certainly a certainly a new a unique ground. A good one though, if you're not yeah. stood on the open terrace in the <laughs> in the pouring rain. It'll be an eye eye opener for him, no doubt. So yeah, good to get back to the football this weekend. And um, we've had a boatload of reader questions in, which is good. Thank you all for for those and for your interaction. And um, we'll get to those in in a little while. Um, I guess we'll move on from the takeover. I guess there's not a huge amount, much more to say on that at the minute. Um, Stanley, then, Mark to Bock or Hume, who would you play at left back? I think if Hume's fit, which we yeah, I think hopefully think he will be. I think providing <coughs> he's, he's fit, that Denver Hume is probably the logical choice. I think Lawrence de Bock alluded to it in his interview with Phil. He's not, you know, he just missed that Carlisle friendly. He's he's not had a chance to play competitive football in a long time. Obviously, mm. he didn't really get too much of a pre-season with Leeds, and he did a lot of things on his own. Um, I think he said he'd got some personal training stuff from a coach in Belgium. So, I think. Hume's probably the, the sensible choice uh, from that perspective and it's not necessarily that Denver Hume's done anything wrong this season either it's it's not like box has been brought in because Denver Hume's bang out of form it's it's purely a, a cover and competition aspect so I think you know Denver Hume's probably the, the safer option the better the the more common sense option given the run of games he's had in the team um, but that's not to say Debock might not get thrown in. He might have well well proved his fitness behind the scenes and if he has then then fair play to him and you know he's, he's well in with a, a a uh, chance of a start if he has. Uh, we're recording this podcast at the University of Sunderland on Thursday morning. Uh, Phil will be speaking to Jack Ross this afternoon ahead of the Stanley game. Um, you spoke to Debock earlier this week, Phil. Uh, your piece can be read on the Echo Online. Um, how did he come across to you? What, what type of character do you think he'll be? And um, well, he seemed like quite a quite a laid back char- uh, character. Uh, excellent English, so he won't have any issues on, on in that front in terms of settling in. Um, yeah, it was a, it was it was a good interview because when he when he first arrived at the club in his first interview with the club, he said he'd spoken to a former Belgian player mm. um, and ha- had a really good reference. Which kind of we were all wanting to talk to him about that because, of course, if you look at the four players who'd played for Sunderland before, you had Mignolet, yep. Adnan Yanazai, yep. Jason Denier, and uh, and Tom Peters back from the Peter Reid era. So we were curious. Reviews, yeah. We we wondered what kind of reference you would get from some of those players. But as it turns <laughs> out, he has the same agent as Simon Mignolet. So perhaps unsurprisingly, it was Simon Mignolet who'd given him a glowing reference. I was curious if if it had been Adnan Yanazai, yeah, what positives he'd drawn from his time. But um, <laughs> no, he he came across as um is a is a very um composed guy. Um, it was interesting that you kind of asked him about his style of play and he, and he very much said he, he prefers or is stronger at the defensive side of the game, which strikes me as a pretty sensible addition because you know that Denver's got a lot of quality going forward. He's got that youthful energy as well. So it's probably wise to have 
quite a, a good balance of player who can complement them in that sense. And Jack Ross has got two left backs that you can kind of rotate if you like, depending on the game situation. So it, it seems like a fairly savvy addition, but of course we'll have to wait and see how he goes when he's fit enough to get out on the pitch. Do you think, obviously it's been a long couple of weeks with that, since the uh, the Peterborough game, you, you guys were both there at that game at London Road. Do you think it was uh, the right decision to postpone the betting game? Do you think Sunderland had much of a choice given they were going to be without a couple of defensive players or do you think Jack Ross thinking looking back might have wished he'd... Well, to be fair, in, in the end it would have been moot because Burton got their third call up. Right. Um, Kieran O'Hara got brought into the Republic of Ireland squad as cover, I think, at the start of this week or the end of last week. Um, and they they would have postponed the game. Nigel anyway, Clough had right. spoken a few weeks ago about wanting to postpone the game. Nathan Broad had got an injury, but he had been called into the Wales under-21 squad, so I think the game wouldn't have gone ahead either way, to be honest. Personally, uh, I think you've just got to play them. I think it was an issue. Um, it's it's hard to chase. If you're constantly three, four games behind, you know, and then all of a sudden you don't win one of those games and everyone's saying, well, that was one of our games in hand, I don't think it helps the general kind of sense of pressure. Um, I'd much rather have games and points on the board, personally. Um, and, and when you look at it realistically, yes, Tom Flanagan and Conor McLaughlin not having them would leave you light, but they're not part of the first choice back four at the moment. Mm-hmm. You've now got Joe Lynch and Lawrence at the club. By the time the next international fixtures come round, you would hope they'll be pretty much match fit. Um, obviously it depends who else gets called up you've got some on the fringes of the Scotland squad and Will Grigg as well who could potentially go in and that might change you think but generally speaking I think Jack Ross has alluded to this you you want to create a bit of momentum you don't want a big fi- fixture backlog at the end of the season so I'd be amazed if they made the same decision next time around particularly considering that you're probably going to have those two new defensive additions somewhere near match fitness because it's always a funny time of year isn't the start of the season you play a couple of weeks and then you have an international break and then you play another few weeks and then there's more in October and November so it is very very stop start um, how do you think this weekend will pan out uh, for Sunderland Mark put your crystal ball in front of you I think it'll be an, an interesting <coughs> game because because they've already played each other in, in one respect it'll yeah, obviously but, know yeah. a fair bit about each other Accrington are missing some some key players they've obviously had a few issues with the suspension and things so Sean McConville their captain's out this weekend which will be a miss for them um, I think they're really really lacking that talismanic striker Colby Bishop obviously scored against Sunderland and looked, looked decent but they've not got a huge outlet up front it was interesting, wasn't Billy Key's uh, comments? Uh, sorry, the club's comments this week about the troubles he's going through and the, the support they're giving him off the pitch for his, um, I think, anxiety and depression, wasn't it? Yeah, and I mean he's a he's a fantastic player, and it's it's you know horrible to see anyone have to go through those things, but it's great to see Accrington sticking sticking with him because in in football nowadays you never know if if clubs will. Um, but I think as a team, Accrington are, are, are very well drilled. But I think Sunderland should go there full of confidence. That you know they beat them earlier in the season with a much changed team. Um, obviously in the Carabao Cup it'll be interesting to see what Jack Ross does up front obviously with Charlie Wyke who's been kind of the, the number nine go-to number nine in recent weeks suspended whether he, he gives Will Grigg a chance whether he pushes Mark McNulty up a little bit but I think Sunderland have got more than enough to, to beat Accrington and, and it would be nice to see a clean sheet as well because um, obviously that's that's not happened so far this season Would you go uh, McNulty and Grigg or are they too similar or? I'm just sure, to be honest. It, 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 to be honest, they're always good games against Accrington. I mean, I, I ju- we joked there about Dubokin and culture shock, but Accrington always try and play, to be honest. And I think some of them quite enjoy playing them because of that. They always tend to be quite open games. There's always a lot of space on the counter-attack. The, uh, the cup games are a, a, a really, really good game. So it should suit Sunderland. I think it's a game they'll be really looking forward to because 
I think they'll play to their strengths. Um, it'll be interesting to see what he does up, up front. I would imagine he'll go with Maguire and then one of McNulty or Greg rather than both of them. I think he'll play the same shape that he's played for the last few weeks because, like we, like I was saying, it it will be an open game and I think you can potentially get joy if you if you play four four two. That's normally how Accrington go. So I would have thought he'll stick to the same shape, but I, I would expect that Maguire will be will be one of those two, and you'd have to think that McNulty's probably still ahead of Grigg in the pecking peck order. Yeah. Um, obviously, we've been starved of first team football for the last week or so, but um, under twenty three is where in action last night, Durham County Cup. Uh, Washington away. Mark, you were there for the echo. Um, a couple of players in particular caught your eye. Who who stood out for the 23s? Yeah, there was a couple of really good individual performances among what was a really good collective display, to be honest. Obviously, you know you can only only beat what's in front of you, and, and Washington weren't the best opposition they'll come up against this year, but they were a really physical team, and it gave them something different than to, to uh, contend with. Kieran Dunn, who joined the club from, from Falkirk in the summer, looked really good on the left wing. He's quick, he's direct. If he's if his end product was a little bit better, he'd probably be, be knocking on the door already. Um, he's a really, really good prospect. Lee Connolly, again, who's one who's maybe gone under the radar a little bit with the emergence of, of Benji Kimpioka. Obviously, he got a chance in the first team last year. I think he replaced Kimpioka against Carlisle in the, the group stage. Um, but he's he's a really, really kind of instinctive finisher. Um, and he, he's one I wouldn't be surprised as he maybe get a chance in some of the, the leasing.com as it is now uh, <laughs> fixtures this year. Um and I thought Williams Kakola at left back was a, a real good outlet as well. Uh, it took, you know, his his goal was if the club put highlights out, it's worth, well worth watching his goal because it was a really really nice move and a really good finish. And it was just good to see that you know a lot of focus gets put on Bali Mumba and, and Benji Kimpioka and rightly so because they're two very talented young players. But it's good to see that there are some players in that under twenty three fold that maybe have gone under the radar a little bit and could potentially get a chance in some of the cup competitions this year and hopefully take it and keep that kind of academy pathway going that Sunderland have, have become renowned for. It's nice to see them win as well and score some goals after what's been a pretty difficult 15 months or so for the <coughs> for the 23s, so that'll give them some confidence. Um, right then, should we move on to some uh, reader questions? We've had quite a lot in us this week, as I'm sure you can imagine. A lot of them were, were takeover related, um, which we've obviously touched on at the start of this podcast. Um Robert in Glasgow asks, a matter of time that the takeover is complete, is there any news on, on Jack Ross? And um, I hope they don't get rid of Jack Ross. He's the right man to take us forward with a proper backing. Um, there's certainly been no indications as that Jack Ross would be would be moved on under the, the new structure. And obviously Stuart Donald and Charlie Methven are going to remain part of the day-to-day running, so they would you think, have some kind no, of No, I'd... I'd I'm 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 not going to profess to any kind of inside knowledge, but I would be absolutely stunned if that was the case. I think the fact that these guys are coming in and keeping Stuart and Charlie on is quite revealing. That mm. gives you a clear indication that they want some sense of continuity and stability. That they're not coming in with their own. It's not like when Mark Campbell had planned to come in and was going to bring his own director footballer in yeah. in day one, and clearly had quite strong football plans, if you like. I'm sure these guys have a sense of what they want, but fact that they're keeping Stuart and Charlie tells you that they want some some sense of stability and are not coming to planning and tear things up from day one. Um, everyone knows Jack's under huge pressure to deliver promotion this year. It's the second and last year of his contract. Of course, he gets another year triggered if he does win promotion. So everyone knows he's, he's under a lot of pressure to deliver promotion. But I would I would be amazed if if this takeover changed his changed his situation. I I, I would imagine they'll want a period of time to assess where the club's at. And make their own mind up, and you know it still strikes me at this point that that would be a decision in Stuart and Charlie's hands, and mm. I can't see them 
being in any way tempted to, to change manager at this stage of the season. No, hopefully not for me. I think he's done a lot of a lot of good work since he's arrived at, at Sunderland. Um, he had a heck of a job last summer, didn't he, without much of a squad putting that together and it's easy to kind of gloss over gloss over that a little bit given the, the size of the, the wage budget and all of those kind of issues. But um, obviously missing out on promotion was a, was a huge huge thing last year but as you say he's got another another chance this time round and hopefully um, he'll be given the, the chance to do that what's your take on Jack Rossmark and his possible future yeah I think he, he probably is the man to lead Sunderland forward I think when he was appointed it was he was never going to be a quick fix appointment he's you know not a not someone who was going to come in and immediately turn things around it was always going to be a, an evolution um, a bit of a process to get the team playing his way bring his players in um, you know he's arguably now got his squad uh, you know they've moved a lot of the the old guard, so to speak, on. He's got the players he wants in, and I do think he will deliver promotion this year. I think Sunderland have got a really good chance, and I think he should be given a chance to continue that when the new owners come in. Because, like you say, it's easy to forget the the mammoth task he kind of had twelve eighteen months ago, um, and the you know where the club is now from then is polar opposite. So I think he he's well earned that chance to to carry on the work he's done once this takeover goes through. Of course, Sunderland won. Of course, five games on the spin before the before the Peterborough game. I guess it, Jack Ross more than anyone would have been stewing on that defeated Peterborough over the last couple of weeks, and yeah. wouldn't have helped having such a long break. But um, as you say, I mean, the, obviously the pressure's on. It's going to be on throughout the season. So one bad result, and, and it does flip a little bit, doesn't it? So they've just got to got to deal with that and bounce back strongly. Yeah, it, it, it's a difficult situation for a manager to be in, really, because he he knows he's kind of he's going to get heavily criticised if they don't go up. If they do go up, he probably won't get too much praise for it because from the outside people say it's what should have happened anyway because of the biggest budget and, and all that nonsense. But I I, I I don't think it should be a discussion at the moment. Um, Sunderland still have a fantastic chance of promotion this year as far as I can tell. And Jack is, you know, just put together... Peter game was disappointing, but he's put together a five-game winning streak before that. So that suggests they've got more than enough um, to, to go up this year. So... I'd, I'd be disappointed if that was a discussion that was happening behind the scenes and I highly doubt that it is. Uh, David Howie from North Shields. Our transfer policy is poor, in David's opinion. Uh, we can't get the real players we are supposed to go after, he says. Uh, why is that? Um, obviously, we're not privy to uh, the the full transfer list, but you would, you would have thought some of the type pe- people they brought in this season, like Sir Jordan Millis and stuff, would have been very high on the wanted list initially and were, have been scouted for, for months and targeted. And I know Jack Ross has spoken quite a lot, hasn't he, about seen George Dobson last season and he was always in his thoughts for this year so I'm sure the club and Jack Ross would argue that they did land some of their big targets this year Yeah very much so and it's not the club's fault that they that they were erroneously linked with John Marquis and <coughs> Marcus Madison and Stuart Downing and players who realistically financially they were never going to be in the in the realms of, 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 of buying this summer so I think that's a, a slightly harsh assessment um, I think Jack would be the first to tell you and he has said on multiple times that he would like to see the club's scouting structures built up better um, he's, you know, everyone's sporting about the kind of ground zero effect of dropping down to League One, everyone would tell you in the club that a lot of things were stripped back and have to be built up again and that's what we referred to earlier with the takeover in terms of building these structures back up to where they would, you would like them to be for a club of this size so there's definitely things that I'm sure everyone at the club would like to improve on the recruitment side but it's that's a slightly harsh assessment of their summer business because whatever you think of the 
of the players, the, the the ones they wanted. By and large, they went and they went out and got. Do you think they need to do much business in January, Mark? Looking ahead, <coughs> I think it, as it stands, no. You've probably got quite a good a good squad there, but you're only one one injury or one big club coming in for one of your players away from from needing to act, and it'll be one of those, I'm sure, where they'll have contingency plans for whatever happens if a player in a certain position leaves or if a player in a certain position gets you know touch wood they don't a long-term injury they'll have contingency plans in place but as it stands i'd imagine jack ross would be quite happy with his squad it's kind of well stocked in every position now you've got cover and competition across the board probably more so than than last year you know i think we've said before at times last year especially in the early parts of the season the team pretty much picked itself and now you're looking at it and you're thinking you've got you know, four or five viable options at centre half, four or five vi- viable options in the centre of midfield, three really good League One strikers. So I think he, he will be happy, and I don't think there'll be any urgent need to to go out and spend in January. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, this was an anonymous, but um, one of our readers asking if there is an option to buy McNulty as part of the loan deal. Um, I don't think that we're aware of there's, a, there's an option to buy, is there? But he'd certainly be somebody. Um, you would like to see permanently at Sunderland, I guess. Yeah, I, I I don't actually know the answer to that question. It's one I'll maybe try and find out in the coming weeks. But, um, yeah, he, he's played Jack Ross had liked for a long time, and he, he wanted he'd identified him as a potential replacement for Josh Madger in in January. But at that stage, he was concerned because McNulty had been so out of the picture at Reading that by the time he got up to match fitness, the season would kind of be coming to an end. So he, he in the end he didn't move from. But that. that I say that because it gives you an indication of how highly um, Jack Ross thinks of him. It wasn't like he just became available and mm. Sunderland decided to go for him. So, yeah, I, if he if he continues to impress, I can't see any reason why they wouldn't be interested. He's certainly got no future at Reading. That much is abundantly clear. Um, but in terms, to be fair, in terms of the actual the actual deal itself, I'm, I'm not sure at this stage. But he's I'm, I'm sure he'd be someone they consider uh, going forward. I like McNulty. He's uh, he's got a bit of spark about him, hasn't he? A bit of Bit of bite, a um, bit of a Chris Maguire, which I think you need. At I this. think he's a to me, he's a Sunderland player. Mm. Um, you know, I think that it's always said about Sunderland players that you know, as long as you give everything for the shirt, um, you know, you'll be liked, and of course, that's true. But if you look at the players who are really, really adored, then it's players who play with a bit of a swagger. I do believe that's a, a huge part of Sunderland's identity. If you like, fans like entertainers, they like players who puff their chest out, play with a bit of a swagger. Maguire is a classic example of that. And McNulty's another. He, he's someone who seems to embrace the the pressure, sees it as a positive. He wants to take that on every week. And he's got quality as well. I mean, we've seen that already this season. So, yeah, I, I think Mark McNulty is a very, very, very much a, a Sunderland player, and we've already seen that. It's a shame that hamstring injury came when it did, but I guess he only missed a couple of games, didn't he? And Sunderland won during that spell, so he wasn't he wasn't hugely missed. So, but with Charlie White injured, another chance for him to uh, stake a claim for cement his place in the first team. <coughs> Excuse me. Another question from anonymous: um, Thoughts on the Cowley brothers leaving Lincoln to go to Huddersfield? Um, also, does anybody agree with me that the Peterborough game was just a blip? Um, we'll start with the second part of that question. Uh, Mark, you were there. What did you do? You think the Peterborough game was just a one-off, or do you think there was um, any sort of longer-term concerning factors after that defeat and performance? I think the the big concerning factor that that came out for me, and I touched on it earlier, is the fact that Sunderland defensively um, are still struggling a little bit. You know, they've they've not kept a clean sheet this season, so immediately they're having to score two goals as a minimum to to win a game. I think the Peterborough game was 
a little bit of a anom- anomaly in some senses because there were so many kind of little flashpoints in that game where things could have gone differently. Um, you know, the free kick for Marcus Madison's goal arguably wasn't free kick. Sunderland had a good chance just after through through McNulty. That goes in, you go in 1-1 at half-time and it's potentially a different game. They don't get hit on the counter for at 2-0. Um, again, it's maybe a little bit of a different game. So I think you know every team has a bad day. No one's going to play well for 46 league games, 60 games in all competitions. Um, it was probably just an off day. Uh, there, there will be some areas of it that, that concerned Jack Ross, but I don't think there's any reason for any kind of massive panic or massive overhaul of the squad or anything like that because it was probably just a little bit of an off day. And obviously 09 had his ban overturned um, and Ivan Tony wasn't going to get any <coughs> sorry further punishment for simulation. Do you agree with that or do you think Ivan Tony should have uh, should have been um, banned from the FA as well? Uh, I, th- I think the the issue with it was is that there is such a kind of high standard of proof in the successful mm. deception of a match official uh, it has to go through three different members on a panel and they all have to unanimously agree that they did it was an act of simulation uh, I mean I understand it didn't even get to that point because when the footage was initially reviewed they did feel there was some contact from 09 that the contact wasn't worthy of a red card hence why the the ban was overturned but that there was contact and that Tony was kind of right I guess to go down but you would argue the fact he went down holding his face would would constitute an act of, of simulation. So on that front, yeah, he probably probably should have got something, I think. Good news, though, that 09's back for Sunderland. Um, Cowley Brothers then, Phil, what do you make of their career today? And uh, an interesting move going to Huddersfield and Lincoln of one of the uh, promotion rivals out in this season have had a reasonable start. Yeah, it, it is an interesting one. There's, there's no doubt that it'll have effect on Lincoln because, you know, the, the Cowleys clearly have been the central part of their rise over the last few years, but... Probably the biggest credit that you can give the Cowley brothers is that they're in a position now where you look at the squad they've built and you think that they should still be able to compete mm. even with a new manager. I don't look at their squad now and say, wow, that's a bit like Luton. That's an average League One squad that will struggle without the, the managers. To be fair, the work that they've done, I still look at that squad now and say, well, if you get the next appointment right, I have absolutely no doubt that you'll be playoff contenders. So I'm not convinced it'll derail them in a way it might have done maybe a year or two years ago because they've just got great individual quality now right right throughout the side. Be really interesting to see who gets it though. I, I saw Gareth Ainsworth was um was was linked with it yesterday, which should be a very interesting appointment given the work he's done done with Wickham. So yeah, in terms of how it'll affect Lincoln, you have to wait and see who, who they actually get in. But I do feel like that they're in a position now where it doesn't have to be as um, destructive, if you like, losing Danny Cowley as it might have been at one stage because I think he's worked so well that they've now got a structure and a squad in place that should theoretically thrive under a new manager anyway. And Kevin Nolan's obviously uh, was linked, wasn't he, yesterday with, with the job. So we shall see who uh, who gets the Lincoln gig. Um, right then, Stanley predictions. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm losing my voice. Uh, Phil, how do you think the weekend game will go? Yeah, and I think some I do think some under way, and I think they enjoy playing against Saturn and by and large their games that that, that suit the way Sunderland play. Um, so yeah, pretty pretty confident. Did you say? Did you think they'll win? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I think they'll win. Yeah, Mark. I think they'll win. Um, I would hope they would keep a clean sheet. Um, like Bill says, it'll be an open game, and that should really really suit Sunderland. And if you have Chris Maguire, Aidan McGeady, people like that on song, you'd hope Sunderland could potentially win quite convincingly 
I'm going to go with a 2-1 win, hopefully, ahead of a, another busy week. Um, we've been complaining about the lack of football and then uh, Sunderland have a busy week ahead with trip to Stanley on Saturday, uh, Rotherham at home on Tuesday, and then Bolton Wanderers, of course, a week on Saturday. So that'll be a fascinating game to see what kind of team Bolton have out. Obviously, they made, is it 9 or 10? 9 or 10 deadline day signings, um, including a trio of former Sunderland players. So a busy, busy week ahead. And hopefully um, some sort of confirmation of uh, the takeover at Sunderland soon. Although, as we discussed in the first part of the pilot um, pilot podcast, um, we just have to wait and see on that on that front. Good stuff. Thank you all. Uh, that brings an end to another Raw podcast. Uh, head to the Sunderland Echo website for full details on how to listen. Subscribe to our podcast, which is available in all the usual podcast places. Uh, if you could like, subscribe and rate, that would be great. Any feedback, good or bad, um, or questions for next week, tweet to Sun Echo SFC. Um, and our thanks, as always, to the University of Sunderland. We'll be back next week. Until next time, thanks for listening to the Raw.